Hello and welcome to Birmingham Live's Birmingham City podcast. Uh, I'm Brian Dick and I'm joined by our Birmingham City reporter Alex Dickin for our second episode of the Keep Right On uh, Blues podcast. Uh, some, lots of positive feedback and some really con- uh, helpful um constructive criticism about last week's so uh um thanks for your interest in that thanks for your feedback and uh, hopefully you'll uh, you'll enjoy the enjoy the uh, joys and sorrows of, of episode two as well uh, i'll introduce now alex thank you very much uh, alex how are you doing yeah good thank you I'm, I'm beginning to to think we've been a bit of a curse for Birmingham city given that as soon as we announced this podcast the team hasn't won a game since but uh but hopefully they can put that right at norwich this weekend Mate, we're, it seems like we're sort of responsible for the cancellation of HS2 <laughs> second phase as well. So I think we've got more than that on our, on our, on our hands at the moment. Um, we've got a uh, a good running order today. Uh, lots to, lots to cram in. Not least uh, the fact that Birmingham City's owner has just written to the Prime Minister uh, of the UK. <laughs> of the UK happens every week, doesn't it? Um, but uh, first, a quick look back uh, to the to the QPR game. Uh, a nil nil draw uh, which both sides i felt could have won both sides uh played had their moments and played okay but i think uh, you look back at some key moments for for blues and and yeah you, you come away feeling a little bit un, uh, short change don't you alex from that game yeah i mean i i put out on the final whistle that it was it was far from a ball draw because you know it was in my in my eyes at least and if an okay game, you know, typical championship game. On another night, it could have probably ended 2-2. On another night, it could have ended 1-0 to Blues. Um, I actually think Blues, for the for the most part, did the right things. They defended quite well, um, as we've come to expect. And they did, you know, create two or three decent openings. You look at that Scott Hogan chance, and it was obviously the pivotal moment in the game. Um, he's got to score as simple as that, really. Um, I, You know, I just think that if it was... You know, all of us are thinking that if it was Jay Stansfield, it would have been a goal given the form that he's been in. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll we'll dissect the the Hogan Stansfield debate a little bit more later on. But it was just disappointing because you know it's after such a strong start. You know, ten points in those first four games, it's two points in the next four games, and it's it's you know almost petered out a little bit and become just a, a normal start. But but still, you know, it's it's oh better than you know what has happened in previous seasons. So I suppose we could look at the positive in that sense. Yeah, just breaking down on, on that start to the season, Blues are, are, are rattling along 12 points from eight games, 1.5 mm. points a game. If you extrapolate that over the course of a whole season, that's 69 points, um, which is a total of... Yeah, which which is a total they've not hit for a uh, for a long time. Not quite the playoffs. I, th- I think anyone who's looking to finish in the top six usually needs to break the the 70 point mark mm. um, so it wouldn't quite be enough but hey given what we've been through for the last 10 years you know you know the the fact they only finish eighth or or ninth or tenth on 69 points would be a, a real first world problem in in blues context so yeah it's i think the the structure of the um of the season everything's great late goal against leeds late goal against plymouth mm. up in the top top 4 i think it was and then they don't get the just rewards from maybe Preston and QPR and, and arguably Watford as well. And, mm. and as, as you say, it, it seems to have levelled out a little bit. Um, but yeah, 1.5 points a game it's e- e- equals 69 points. Um, Matt isn't my strong point, but I think that's right. Uh, so, so 
put it in that context and it looks a little different. What I do think is 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 a bit troublesome is the goal scoring, isn't it? Um, you've mm. got a stat about the number of goals Blues have or haven't scored. Um, so yeah, that that is that was certainly the issue the other night, um, and yeah. the issue against Preston as well. You, you know, one one more goal in each of those games, and and you know you're talking you're talking about a totally different scenario. Yeah, I mean, with as as far as the, the stat of the week goes, this feels particularly pertinent in that you know Blues have only scored eight goals in the league this season. Only four teams in the league have scored fewer, and those teams obviously you know challenging down the bottom of the league at the moment. So. It's something that blue a problem that Blues have had, you know, for, for quite some time, really. I can think back to when I started covering the club at the end of last season. They weren't really scoring more than one goal in, in many of those games, uh, in those final 10 games or so. So they're never really going to be a team that's going to hammer hammer someone or, you know, stick three past someone that often. But uh, but some of the, the finishing in the last week or so has, has let them down. And I think John Eustace does know this as we... As we We've spoken about previously. He's mentioned it himself in that they need to be more clinical in the final third. Um, it can't all be, you know, blamed on Scott Hogan, who you know has been the guilty party in a couple of those missed chances. You know, there are other players who who could have done better. And you know, when you think Keshi Anderson gets inside the box, sometimes can he get a shot off quicker um, rather than take two or three touches and pass it on to someone else? Koji Miyoshi for all his brilliant assists. Um, you know, could he be getting into goal scoring positions a little bit more often? Uh, potentially, yes. Um, Stansfield at the moment, as far as that front four goes, looks like the only one to ha- who has that killer instinct, um, and it has let them down in the last the last few games. But hopefully they can they can right that wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was something I felt watching watching Anderson, and we'll come on to him a, a little bit later again. Um, was how often he does get in, into good positions. He'll he'll go past he goes past players really easily, doesn't he? Mm. And then you're waiting for the the, the trigger to be pulled. And he takes another touch and, and you know, may, maybe lays it off or often a lot of his shots are blocked. I, I think there's a world in which uh, Keshi Anderson could have two or three goals already this season. Um, yeah. But just just isolating one person and saying it, it, it's on Hogan, it's on Anderson, that's mm. that's not the real picture, is it? The, the point you're making is the fact that if everyone doesn't get a shot off on t- or gets a shot blocked on two or three occasions, then... You, you know, you, you're in a situation why Blues have got as few goals as they have. The the, the Scott Hogan, Jay Stansfield debate is difficult to ignore, and I'll, we'll come on to that in a minute. The other the other side of that coin, the goal scoring coin, is the goals against record. So obviously, you know, if your managers send send out their their teams to either be attacking or defensive, to be loose or tight or more open or, or less open. And Blues, for all Blues issues, scoring goals, it's worth pointing out that only Leicester and Preston have conceded less. So Blues are, first and foremost, a defensively-minded side, in my view. And they've bought, brought in three or four different kind of technical attacking players to maybe score something out of nothing or, or score on the break or something like that. But first and foremost, we know John Eustace is a, is a pragmatic coach. Yeah. So they don't create a ton of chances because there's always this, not a defensive mindset, but a a mindset to keep the back door shut. And, and you know, the, the wins they have produced this season have been by one goal, one late goal, haven't they? Yeah. So that is the other side of the coin as well. I don't, I don't know that Blues can necessarily have it both ways at the moment um, and, and be plundering goals and 
clean sheets at the same time. Yeah, as I've said, I, I think they're all, always going to be that kind of one and two, two nil team. Um, if you look at the way they're set up this season, you know, it's been essentially, you know, the back four has been either right, right back's been Laird or Dremay. Uh, when it was Laird, it was quite an attacking right back. And you've obviously got Levy kind of left back to, to balance that out, who's more a defensive left back. But in front of in front of them, you've got essentially two two holding midfielders in, in Christian Bielik and even Sunjic, who rarely venture forward. I know Sunjic does occasionally and has got an assist this season, but first and foremost, they are defensively minding midfielders. So there's that really solid base there. And then it is on those front four to to create something. And you know, there are other teams in this league who have probably got five or six attacking out attacking outlets, whereas Blues have probably got four plus an adventurous right back when everyone's fit. So um, I don't think they're ever going to be a team that's going to score loads of goals. I might prove wrong at some stage this season when they hammer someone. But um, first and foremost, as you say, Brian, defense comes first at the moment, and um, I think it's 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 served them well. You just whether it, you just wonder whether it could limit them when it gets to you know a certain point when they hit a ceiling when they're um, they're trying to get up the table and they haven't quite got the firepower to do it. Yeah, the other the other extreme is someone like Plymouth, who have conceded quite mm. a few goals, and and they create so many chances. And you know, maybe they someone like Ryan Hardy, who's got got a lot of goals this season, isn't maybe you know a brilliant athlete, or a, you know, you're not looking at him and thinking, oh wow, that guy could play in the Premier League. But he's getting goals because he gets so many chances. Scott Hogan and Jay Stansfield. You know, getting one or two, maybe three chances chances a game as well. And that is because of that tactical balance that Eustace has, has, has chosen to go down. I think that's that's part of the issue with Hogan playing up front at the moment when he's not obviously in the best goal-scoring form is that Eustace, after the game against QPR, that we should be creating three or four chances for him a game rather than one or two, um, which is essentially saying that he might score one if he gets three chances. And... You know, the issue with that is that Blues aren't creating three or four chances of their striker each game. So at the moment, as far as I see it, I think it's probably best to have the guy who's in form in that position. So when the chances do come to that position, which invariably it's the case, he is there, Jay Stansfield is there to take them. Um, as we saw against Preston, you know, Blues didn't have lots of clear-cut chances in that game, but when the one clear-cut chance arrived, he took it. Same against Millwall and, you know, obviously same against Plymouth in the last minute. So, um I think the the call the case is really really growing now to put him put him through the middle as the as the lone striker. Yeah, the 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 Stansfield Hogan debate. If it if it was a debate before the QPR match, I'm not sure it is anymore. Really, is it? I, I don't know. Many people would honestly say, no, we need you know we need Hogan as as the furthest man forward and Stansfield in the three. What I thought was was it didn't work particularly well for me. I didn't think was Stansfield. Uh, moving out onto the left at times, mm. um, as you know, not even as the ten. For me, you want. We've spoken about Jay Jay Stansfield's ball striking. Uh, you want him around, if not in the penalty box, then around the penalty box, don't you? And yeah, he he caused their fullbacks quite a bit of trouble. He got 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 some decent balls in, and he looked as though he could could go back the uh, go past the right back. You know, really quite easily in in the second half as the, as the game became more fractured. But do you want Jay Stansfield there? I'm, you know, I'm not sh- not sure you do. And I think you know, Eustace put him put him more in a more wide role because you wanted Koji An- Ko- Koji Miyoshi, sorry, in the um, in the ten role. And you know, I I'm a bit old fashioned. I do like left footed wingers on on the on on the left going outside people. Um, so. 
yeah, that that was a not only was it not Stansfield up front, it all for, for periods of that game, it also wasn't even Stansfield in a central position. Yeah, I, I didn't particularly like that either. I mean, I understand why Miosha has played centrally because I think his best football for Blues has come in that number 10 role. And okay. when on the few occasions I have watched him on the left, I think I watched him train there once. And I also watched him, he's come on there a couple of times in, in games, only for 10, 15 minutes here and there. But I haven't really liked it. I don't think he's that winger who's going to beat a man and get across. And he doesn't play like, does he? He likes to have the ball close control and find little passes and, you know, combine with players. And you do that best the left footer when you're on the right or in the centre. So um, I don't really like the idea of play, playing him left. You could potentially put Burke there. You know, he's got the the yeah. speed to go on the outside of players, hasn't he? Um, but Eustace does seem to like him as a right winger. Um, I just think it's it's the key for me is just getting Stansfield, as you say, in those central positions where he can do the most damage. And, and Eustace has admitted himself that Stansfield is the kind of finisher Blues haven't had for, you know, in his, in his entire time at the club. So, and probably for quite a number of years. So it just makes sense to, to if he's not going to play as centre forward, to definitely have him in the 10 role where he can combine the centre forward and get shots away. Because you look, you know, when he gets these chances, sometimes half chances, how often does he hit the target? You know, pretty much nine out of 10 times, doesn't he? He's, he's finishing and stri ball striking is excellent. So, I just think the Blues could do themselves a favour by not sticking him out wide where he's got to create rather than be, the, be on the end of the chances created. It would be a, a real surprise to me if Stansfield's not playing as the nine or the centre forward against mm. uh, against Norwich this weekend. Um, which brings us on to uh, the, the other takeaway from the QPR game. Uh, and before going into the QPR game uh, last week, I kind of said to you, Alex, do we need to talk about John Ruddy? Um <laughs> Turns out we don't need to talk about John Ruddy. Uh, so, so by in not talking about him, we're going to talk about him a little bit. Um, do you get what I mean when I say do we need? To, did we need to talk about John Ruddy? Yeah, of course. I mean the the games the games against Millwall and um, and Preston. Preston goal. There were, yeah. there were two. There were two goals. Obviously, the second Preston goal and the the Millwall free kick, where I think John Ruddy will hold it up and say he could have done better. Probably should have saved. You know, at least one, probably both. Um, I think he really redeemed himself against against QPR. I think he was fantastic. Those that double save from Samfield in the second half, at the beginning of the second half, was tremendous in not only making the first save after the deflection, but getting up to pro, to prod the ball away from field before he tapped it into an empty net. And then obviously mm -hmm. the the save that Gareth Ainsworth, you know, compared to Gordon Banks from from Lyndon Dyke's header late on. Um, I'm not sure it was quite like that, but it was a very good save. Uh, well, not unexpectedly to make, but still a very good performance. I think he got my man of the match in the ratings. Um, yeah, um, for me, there wasn't really a question over whether Ruddy should, you know, be in trouble in terms of potentially being dropped because I think he's he's got too much credit in the bank. Yeah. But that performance really reaffirmed, you know, his position that he's still outstanding at this level, you know, on his day. Um, and it was good to see actually as well because. It's rare that the question marks over John Ruddy, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. And there weren't really. I, I do agree with you. You already had too much credit in the bank. Um, just for for our, for our, our younger listeners, if indeed there are any, uh, the Gordon Banks reference was, was something that uh, came from the 1970 World Cup when uh, Banks flew across, it was going one way across his goal and then literally covered like half the width of his goal to tip a Pelé header 
ran the poster over the bar. So, yeah, we we are we are talking in in the annals of great saves. We are talking arguably the greatest in in English football. I'm not sure Ruddy's save was quite up there with that, but it it was a very good one and you know very very timely as well. So mm-hmm. no, no, there isn't a debate debate about John Ruddy. Of, of of course there isn't. Um, and at any other club, there there isn't it isn't more so because no other club's probably got the as good a backup goalkeeper as Neil mm-hmm. Etheridge. So yeah, that's it it was interesting. Um and it was it was pleasing to see, you know, him turn turn in and another good display. Um which brings us on, I, I suppose the, the massive issue, the the massive developments we, since we've had the QPR game is this letter from Tom Wagner to the Prime Minister of the UK, an open letter <laughs> on the Blues website. Um, just sort of run run through what it had, what what it contained, Alex, and uh, what was your biggest takeaway from it? Yeah, so it was essentially Wagner reacting to the reports in recent days uh, about the proposal to scrap the second half of HS2, where it obviously goes beyond Birmingham. So the idea is that now that it could be just between Birmingham and London. Um, so you know, as an investor who has probably you know bought Birmingham banking on the idea of of HS2 being around and being created as well it's probably quite worrying for for Wagner that you know half of the country you know won't have this fast track route into the second city um he mentions in this in this statement in this open letter sorry that um you know the club are looking at the idea of um having you venue sorry events other than football matches at, at their stadium in this city whether the St Andrews can hold that only time will tell I'm not sure it can um in that case they'd have to move to another site but it's obviously clear they want to host either major sporting events in this city or you know concerts things like music we start more and more at football stadium now um but yeah I think it's a very interesting step for a for the owner of a football club to to direct uh, something towards the prime minister because I've not seen that many times, but um, it's clearly done in mind, you know, with the best interests of the of the city at heart. And I think he wants to invest his money and give Birmingham this opportunity to grow. And it's quite clear that HS2 uh, was part of that plan. So, um, yeah, I think as things stand, it looks like the prime minister is probably selling the the second city out. Yeah, indeed. Um, I think what was uh, what struck me most was the fact it, it was a, a statement about HS2 to the Prime Minister on Birmingham City's website. Uh, you, know, <laughs> you, you used to have to uh, to hold a hold a protest outside the cop reception just to get the last owners to do a, a message from the chairman. Um, so the fact that this, this just appeared um, and. I think what it also shows is just how plugged into to the whole scheme it, Tom Wagner is. It's not. It is about Birmingham City. You know, obviously he's been away to to away matches. He's he's been at the at, at, at several home matches. You know, it's not not a sort of a distant owner or an absent absentee owner. He's very much hands on and involved in this project at this stage. I'm sure we'd get like to get to a point where it was just ticking over, and, and Birmingham City and Gary Cook looked after the the, the whole success uh, successful project themselves. Um, but yeah, it, 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 this guy is not messing around, is he? Um, that, I, I think that there's 
that's what I took away from it. Just the, the significance and the gravitas that was that was associated ar- around around this this open letter, and a reminder that it is, as I said earlier, not just about blues. It's about Birmingham mm. City, you know, with a, with a a big B and a small C. Um, so. And, and about regenerating that part that part of the city and that it shamelessly is an investment you know he has got people who want to make money out, out of this this investment and this enterprise but and it's not just a case of you you get getting somebody in who's maybe going to come in buy a football club invest a few millions in the hope that they get to the premier league and so, suddenly it's the land of milk and honey this mm. is about commerce and and enterprise and, and regenerating an area and and turning it into you know to a prosperous and an attractive place to be in the city much like manchester city and what what they've yeah. done with 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 that part of, of that city um so yeah it, it's 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 the blue sky thinking that the whole scale of the project i think which uh, which which we knew because we've we've had these letters from tom wagner before but it it's just it what it's just not going away. It keeps making reference to to it. So that, I think that's the thing that, that I took away mainly. Yeah, I think um, it just shows kind of the the how big HS2 is in terms of you know development and growth in the city and how central that is to to Knighthead's plans for the club and also their plans to to make the club central to the city's success as well. Um, he's obviously got investors back in the US who've probably banked on. HS2 being involved in this project. Um, I think I remember back in remember back in 2016 when there was a lot of Chinese investment in the in the the four biggest clubs in this region. And I think I spoke to someone at the time in, in China and he suggested that it was a lot a lot based around China's bet on HS2 and how kind of that would drive growth. And um, you know, it's obviously going to be huge. And to to have that cut in half at the at Birmingham before reaching the north. So you you know you miss out on the potential to bring all those people from from Manchester and Liverpool to to Birmingham within you know forty minutes I think it is 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 hugely damaging to to what the club can do commercially in terms of getting people to events and things. So um, it's it's actually pleasing to see to see him take such a strong stance and, and go straight for the jugular and straight for the prime minister. And I hope yeah, he does get the response he wants. Yeah, whether Richie Sunak is, um, it, you know, is suddenly pushed to, pushed to the top of his agenda, it should be in my mind. But whether it is, you know, there might there might be one or two more pressing political issues for the for the prime minister to, to deal with. But listen, it just screams not messing around, doesn't it? You know, if 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 buying the club and you know investing in the players that they have invested in so far isn't enough to convince you, and if if underwriting the costs about the stadium isn't convince you, doesn't convince you. If going to Preston on a really wet Tuesday night doesn't convince you, you know this is just another another example of of, of the guy's commitment and and intentions. Uh, and I, I really do hope that there's not an external influence that scuppers this whole thing. You know, I think I think that's mm. a fear in in every everyone's mind that. It, you know, something beyond the club's control might just come in and sort of stick a hole beneath the waterline. Um, the other thing that stuck out was the 17 billion positive media impressions. Uh, I mean, that that's 
I don't even know how you count that. Who's been, uh, who's been counting them? Who's been counting them? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sure there is a way to count that. I, I'm a, um, it's just some sort of global metric, but I don't know it if there is one. Um, and you, you can't buy advertising like that. You know, that is the power of Tom Brady, isn't it? Um, mm, and and yeah. all I think from that is, thank goodness Lukas Djukovic scored that penalty when Brady was in town. Um, against against Leeds, <laughs> because what a penalty! That, yeah, well, we can come on to that. Um, those uh, <laughs> those page impressions or those media impressions might not have been a either as as many or b quite as positive. Um, had had Djukovic missed that penalty, and can you just imagine going if he goes back into the changing room? Tom Brady's there, and and the poor guys oh. choked in the in in a clutch moment with with a with a bloke that's probably most famous in the world for coming through when it matters most. Yeah, and one of it, one of his heroes as well for for Djukovic, given that he's a BNFL fan. So, um, yeah. yeah, huge moment, and I'm I'm glad that brings us on nicely to our to our next little topic we want to talk about, which is uh, the penalties. Um, They've been, you know, a great source of frustration for Blues over the last twelve months six months since Hogan missed his last two, obviously missing the one against Mill, missing the one at Wigan, um, just about scoring the one at Swansea. I think we're we're presuming that Scott Hogan isn't going to take the next penalty Blues get, given that he's got a record of five misses from seven. Um, but the big question is, you know, with no Lyle Taylor, no Troy Deeney, so-called uh, penalty-taking experts, who takes the next one, Brian? Okay, um, thanks. Um <laughs> Let's name the contenders, I suppose. Um, <laughs> if it's not Hogan, Dukovic is a contender, maybe, um, if he's on the pitch. Jay Stansfield is a contender. Um, you then look at the creative players, don't you? Uh, Keshi Anderson, um, Koji Miyoshi, uh, Ollie Burke, Tyler Roberts, if and when he's fit. Um, Christian Bielik, even, technically sound. Um, but... I think the I think the player, yeah. Go on. Who's yours? I'm I'm undec- I'm still undecided. Who who's oh, yours? You just dodged that question. <laughs> I have. I'll, um, I'll come back I think, to it and I'll, and I'll tell you if I think you're wrong. It's out of two for me. Uh, Stansfield and Dembele. Dembele based on confidence and Stansfield based on finishing. Uh, neither of them. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think either of them have taken a penalty in you know, senior professional football. Um, you know, as far as transfer market says, which I've which I've been scouring this morning to look at which goals they've scored. Stansfield has taken some uh, in youth football successfully. And as we know, he's a fantastic finisher. He would be my choice, I think, um, based on his finishing so far. I think, you know, had he had a little bit more confidence um, and standing in the blue side at that Millwall game, I think it was only his first start in the league. I think he might have been there to to ask the question when Hogan picked the ball up. But, um, yeah, I think for the next one, Stansfield in my bet. And then, you know, you've got Dembele as a potential backup. Um, I actually spoke to Djukovic after he scored the penalty against Leeds and, you know, asked him if he hadn't been on the field who who was in the running to take it. And he did mention Dembele might have been. So, um, yeah, there's a potential one there, I think. He seemed a confident player as well, so you'd back yeah. him. Yeah, uh, you, you you want technical ability and you you want sort of mental strength, don't you, uh, to to deal with the pressure? Uh, and I, I think Stansfield Stansfield showed shown us both, hasn't he? he scored big goals in big minutes, uh, and I, I think for for just for a left field one, I, 
I like Christian Bielik and I, I've watched him quite closely in the last last couple of games. And just his intelligence and understanding of, of a football match is so good. And I think technically he's very good as well. So for me, it wouldn't be the the worst thing in the world if, if I saw Christian Bielik step, stepping up to take a penalty. But you want your strikers, don't you? And and, and it is. I think Stansfield is the answer. I, th- I think you're right there. So let me just ask you, not in a Blues context, you've got someone... So, so we've just said Jay Stansfield to take the uh, take Blues next penalty. Who's taking a penalty from any player in history? Who's taking a penalty to save your life, Alex? Oh, I think I've just got lost, Alex. There are a few connection problems. I think he's he's gone a little bit glitchy. Uh, so yeah, the the, the penalty the, the penalty taker that you'd want to uh, to to save your life, and, and for me, it's a it's another throwback to uh to, to an old player not a blues player i wouldn't choose him to do much else but i'd potentially choose matt Letitia, who had a fantastic record from the penalty spot i think he only ever missed one in all of his time at southampton so i'd go matt Letitia, but strictly to take penalties not not for advice about anything else um hopefully we've got alex back now um what about you uh, who, who's who's the best penalty taker in 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 your time watching football Oh, that's a that's a good question. Um, I'm probably going to go for a guy with a with a really good record as well in Graham Alexander. Um, do you remember the guy who played for Preston and Burnley? Uh, Burnley under Owen Coyle, I think, and when they got promoted, his penalty taking was outstanding. You know, so I, I actually watched him hit balls with the outside of his outside of his foot on on occasions at penalties, and I thought his you know his technique was second to none. Um, yeah, I'd go. I think I think he may have missed one because I think there was a big deal about it when he missed one towards the end of his career. But yeah, I'd, I'd go with him. I think he's up there with Lattice. Is is there ever a place for a uh, for for a Penenka? Do you ever want any player from any team you're supporting yeah. to go up and show such 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 stones that he tries a Penenka? I'm, to be fair, I, if you've if you've got it, I'd I'd rate it. I remember Sergio <laughs> Ramos went through a little went through a little phase in Penenka's Real Madrid, didn't he? I think he didn't win the Champions League, maybe in a semi final or a final once. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd, if you if you've got it and you've got the the cojones to do it, go for it. Not for me. Bottom corner, goalkeeper's right, stick it in and go, <laughs> Smash go back it down and, the middle. <laughs> yeah, shake a few hands and go back and line up again. Yeah, I'm not not sure. Uh, not sure my anxiety levels would would cope with a, with a Penenka, and, and I'm pretty sure I'd never be able to forgive a player that missed one. Um, oh no! Which brings us on to uh, to some of your questions and and the takes that we we've um, asked you to to send to us as well. Uh, some really interesting ones um, this this week. Um, stuff that we have wanted to cover and and stuff that maybe it hadn't occurred to us. Uh, so could, just just some fan questions. Uh, and it's it's about strikers from 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 John Ramsey. Does Junior Dixon deserve a place in the squad? Uh, and will John Eustace give him a chance? Uh, what are your thoughts about that, Alex? I've had this a lot recently. I was actually speaking to a, a Blues fan on, on Saturday who kind of asked me how close Dixon was. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure he's you know he's banging on the door just yet. You know, I think there's obviously the the experienced players in front of him, Hogan. Djukovic and um, Stansfield, definitely for that position. He's 
had a very, very good start with the 21, scoring six goals in seven games, I think, and scored when he went back in the 21s last week after he, you know, he made that trip with the first team to Preston. Um, from what I'm told, you know, very good player, very good finisher, has impressed a lot of people. Um, he's got the physical stature that you need to to make it in the championship as, as well. You know, he's six foot one and quite powerfully built. Um, so I think there's definitely a player there for the future, 18 years old. Um, but I'm not sure he's he's writing John Eustace's thoughts yet. I think it was nice to see him on the bench at Preston because obviously it was a it was a reward for his for his good form for the 21s and that pathway has got to be there. Um, but there's still three experienced players that you will have ahead of him at the moment. And I think it's going to be difficult, but I think he will get a chance at some, some stage, maybe when the cup competition opens up in January. Um, that could be a route into the team. And once he gets into the team and gets a, gets a chance to play minutes, whether it's 10 minutes or 20 minutes, whatever, uh, he's obviously got to take that chance because, you know, as we know, it's so hard for, for young players to break in. They've got to make a quick early impression. Yeah, that pathway, it's, it's, it's really good at Blues for, for most mm. positions, but you have to go back, I think, I think to AJ, Andrew Johnson, which, like coming through mm. in, in 2000, the final last time Blues produced a, a homegrown striker. Um, you know, Kyle Kyle McFarlane um, scored bucket loads for the for the 21s mm. and 23s as, as they were then um, for, for probably three or four years it felt like he was always rattling them in yeah. in the development squad yeah. and just didn't just did not get a, get a look in and then you look at someone like um like Ronan Hale who had a, an unreal season with mm. the 18s an okay season with with the uh with with the 21s or the 23s and then didn't get a look in in the first team as well so you know I, I suppose I'm mentioning that just to underline the fact that the development team goals really doesn't appear to carry much currency at, at first mm. team level, um, that's not to say that that Junior Dixon won't come through, and and you know we all really hope that he does because there's nothing better than a homegrown striker and um, rattling mm. them in as far as I can remember because it's been such a such a long time at Blues. But yeah, I, again, I, I think I think while, while fans and and journalists as well pro- probably see someone doing really really well in 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 professional development league football. There's a lot more scepticism and a lot more okay, show me in training attitude or, or, or for those people who work at first team level. Yeah, I agreed. Um, the next one from Craig Patcham, which I've been looking forward to actually since he sent it in, I think midway through last week. Um, when everyone is fit, who are your front four based on a 4 2 3 1 formation? Brian, I'll come to you first, but I will say <laughs> there's only one correct answer. Um, okay, I can do the one. <laughs> uh, the one is Scott Hogan. <laughs> no, sorry, it's, it's, it's Jay, Jay, Jay Stansfield. It is the one. Then looking at the um, the three, um, Keshi Anderson on the left, Mayoshi on the right, and Dembele is the ten for me. Oh, Dembele is the ten. That's in, that's interesting because speaking to Dembele in pre-season, he said he doesn't really like to play anywhere other than the left. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> um, so, Maybe I've seen him something in him he doesn't he doesn't know he's got. I think yeah, I think to be fair, he was talking about left or right wing that he doesn't like to play right wing, but I could see him in a ten. Um, I would have him on the left. You know, Stansfield definitely the striker. I'd have Miyoshi and Hall as my other two. George Hall, 
But, you know, I don't know which which one I'd play as the 10. I'd probably play Miyoshi as a 10 and stick Hall wide and have them interchange. Um, yeah. Although, you know, John Newsall said that the work that Hall gets through in that 10 role only Stansfield can match. So, you know, maybe he'd want him there. And Miyoshi does prefer to actually play on the right, even though he's played all of his games, most of his games centrally for Blues so far. Yeah. Um, but they've been my front four. I feel like it's a bit harsh on Keshi Anderson because he has been, you know, one of the standout attackers in it in a lot of the games this season. Um, but I do think on paper, um, those are the four most exciting attackers Blues have got. So you so just go through that again. We both agreed on Stansfield up top. Yeah. Uh, your three behind was... Uh, Miyoshi right on left. the right. Yeah. Miyoshi on the right, Hall in the middle, and Dembele on the left. Okay. And I can't actually remember what I said, but... Um, you I, went Anderson, yeah. Dembele, and Miyoshi. Yeah. I, it's... it's, it's I'd, I'd actually... For, I'll admit it. I'd forgotten about George Hall. Because he's been, you know, the, the I know the, the crown jewel, and I and and not even in my thinking. Yeah, I can I can see that. Uh, I can also see the reasons for for playing Hall wide as well because he's he's strong and powerful and quick, mm. and he can burst past defenders, can't he? Um, everyone fit? Am I going to revise? No, I'm I'm, I'm going to stick with it. Uh, I I really I do like Keshi Anderson. I, I have to say, you know, mm. I, I've been really impressed with with the way he's. He's just come in and, and hit the ground running. And yes, he should, yes, there should have been more goals, some goals and, and more assists. Uh, but I think it, when it comes to cracking a defensive line, I think Anderson, his, his movement off the ball is really good. And he when he receives the ball, he always seems to know what he's going to do with it when he, when he gets it before just controlling it and then looking up and deciding. He seems to have a plan in mind for me. And, and I do like that. I've really, really enjoyed watching him. Um, yeah, which brings yeah. us to... To another question uh, from Steve Poole, who'd say he'd like us to discuss the Emmanuel Ayu situation. And he says, big signing, no minutes. Uh, what's John mm. used to said to you, Alex, about, about Ayu? Yeah, I asked him about, about him last week, because not because I think that Dylan Sanderson or Kevin Long should be taken out of the team, just because you know after two defeats, it felt like there's at least a question whether Ayu should be put in the team. Um, because, you know, he's obviously come here to play football. He's not come here to sit on the bench. He's come from having played 20-odd, almost 30 games in, in Serie A. Yes, with a team that didn't do well and got relegated, but still Serie A is a, is a high level, especially for a defender. Um, got aspirations of playing international football as well. So it's it's one of those where I think, you know, as John you said, he's going to have to be patient and wait for his chance. You know, Kevin Long and Deion Sanderson haven't done anything wrong. I think we're looking at Kevin Long as the guy who could potentially drop out because Deion Sanderson's captain, obviously Marquee signing from the summer. Um, but Long has, you know, he's been aerially dominant in every single game Blues have played this season, pretty much. Um, he's had a really, really good start to the season. Blues, like you said earlier, Brian have conceded, you know, seven goals, one of the fewest in the, in the league. So, you know, he's got to wait for his chance. I think it's going to be probably centre-back he's going to play. I don't think, you know, I know he can play right-back. I know he can play midfield. But unless there's an injury in one of those two positions, I do think it's going to be a centre-back that he's going to have to wait his chance for. Um, having seen him in person, you know, he's a physical unit, you know, very square-shouldered, a big guy. Um, you know, from, from what I've been able to gather from speaking to people who watched him more than I have, uh, a very fast defender, plays in the front foot. So... You know, you think he's got all the kind of qualities to play in the championship and be a success in the championship and in England. 
Um, but yeah, he's, he's just got to be patient and wait for that chance because you know it, it could come with an injury on Saturday, or it you know it could come in a month or two. But it will come, and he'll get his chances whether he takes it. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I just don't. You, you're not going to drop Dion. Uh, you are not going to. You can't drop Kevin Long just because you know there's someone a mm. little bit, a little bit, you know, more exotic potentially into in, in terms of you know being a new signing uh, and and you know people don't know as much about him. So there's that curiosity value, isn't isn't there? Uh, about mm. Iwu. Um and you're not changing the structure. You're not ch- to bring three at the back to a uh, you know with a defensive record as it is. So. Listen, that, the, the, I agree. The door will open at some point. There'll be a suspension or there'll be an injury. And then it will be a case of, uh, yep, he's he's in the next cab off the rank. And and we, 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 we'll we see what he can do then. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't think you can make a change for change's sake. I don't think that would be really very fair on the uh, on the people who are already playing in, playing and playing well in those, in those uh, positions. Uh, which brings us to your takes. Um... Mikey has said, uh, Mikey H01 or Mick H01 has, uh, has said, I think the main question on everyone's lip is, lips is the striker situation. Why are we still relying on two strikers who've proven they are not the answer goal-wise, yet we have two youngsters in Stansfield and Dixon ready to be given a chance. It will be Eustace's downfall, uh, says Mickey or Mike or Mick. Um, yeah. What's your, what's your reaction to that one, Alex? Um, you know, as I've said a fair bit on this in this episode, I, I do think Stansfield is the option at number nine currently with Hogan struggling for a little bit of form since that penalty miss against Millwall um, and Stansfield's finishing in recent games. I think he should be playing as the nine. Um, Dixon, you know, we're never going to know whether he's ready for a first-team chance until he gets one. Um, I don't think that's going to come imminently um, unless there's an injury or two. But, uh, but I'm... I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'm in the stands, for, in, in the Stansfield camp for the, for the striker position. I know a lot of people will probably agree with me. Some may disagree. Um, that's where I sit in terms of, uh, you know, Hogan and, and Djokovic. I think they have their uses. To be honest, I think Djokovic's use from the bench is still very effective. We, we, you know, we said only last week on the last episode that, you know, he'd been involved in three a goal every eleven minutes in in the championship this season. You know, he's been used effectively from the bench, and I do think that will be his role going forward. Um, Hogan, you know, before that penalty miss against Millwall, I actually thought he was coming into some good form. That just seems to have have knocked him. And you know, from watching him, you do you do get the sense that he is, you know, if there is a cliche in football, it's that players play you know are affected by confidence and are confidence players. I think Scott Hogan is the ultimate confidence player. Um, you can see him have a have a dip in form, and then he goes on an incredible run where he'll score nine in ten games. He's a very streaky player, and it just seems that that Millwall penalty miss has really dented his confidence. And you could see after he was substituted against against QPR, there was a screen in front of us in the press box, and you could see how distraught he was. Obviously, because he knew that unless that game was won in those final fifteen minutes or whatever, the game would be about his costly miss. So hmm. I just think he needs one to go in. He needs one to go in. Um, but I also think at the moment he needs a, a run out of the team as well. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah, you, you're not going to close the book on, on Djokovic. Um, and mm. Hogan off the bench might might just do something. But Stansfield is the coming force, isn't he? And I, I don't 
think there's any any debate about that. So yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one. Uh, Dan Chalmers at Dan underscore Chalmers eighty nine. Uh, Dan Chalmers has uh, sent us quite a lengthy take, but an, but an interesting one. Um, he says. I'm generally a bit more lax than many who give who give stick and think Eustace is doing a great job. There's lots of parts to this one, so uh, yeah. Uh, he said he thinks he made his first mistake of the season against QPR in starting Keshi. Uh, he goes on to point out that uh, Keshi Anderson basically lost most of last season to to an, to an injury or injuries. Mm-hmm. And then he's gone and started in three games in six days. There are other points to... Uh, to Dan's take, which we'll come on to, but let's just do let's just deal with the Keshi Anderson side of that. Um, missed most of last season, playing well for Blues, start and then ends up starting three games in six days and does a hamstring on Friday. What mm. fair fair take from Dan? Yeah, I mean it's 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 the ridiculous championship schedule, isn't it? You get all the time. Um, players have to become used to playing ridiculous amount of games in a, in a short space of time you know three and six is a bit is a bit is a bit much isn't it when you think of the the strain and toll on their bodies in 90 minutes the amount of ball striking and hamstring movements that go into a game of football um i had the the pleasure of watching blues train over the summer i remember i took away something quite interesting from the end of one session uh, out in spain when um John Eustace ended the session and two players, Janino uh, Bakuna and Manny Longello, wanted to take some free kicks and practice free kicks, which you think is kind of common practice at the end of a session. Um, you know, Sean Rush, the fitness guy, was very keen for for Longello not to, not to take any. He basically allowed him one and said, you've got to stop there, that's it, you're done. Because he'd already struck so many balls in that particular session um, and in that day, and he didn't want him striking anymore through fear of a hamstring problem. So... Um, it's something the sports science guys are very hot on. Um, with Anderson, obviously we know about his injury problems at, at Blackpool last season. Um, and yeah, for someone who only played nine games in the league last season, you know, to have started every single game all eight of Blues opening fixtures and then you know play three in three games in six days might be a bit much. Um, in fairness to UC, he did he did ask him actually before the game whether he was ready to play again. Um, because Blues were a bit, obviously a bit light in that position with Sariki Dembele only just coming back and Anderson put his hands up and said yes and played and lo and behold, obviously he injured his hamstring and now could face a spell on the sideline. So it's very frustrating um, and he's just, it, it's, it's football, isn't it? It can happen. You can you can do things to reduce the risk um, and minimise it, but it's, you know, footballers are always going to get hamstring injuries. I think you look at other sports and, you know, players won't get a hamstring injury in their entire careers and footballers you have one every week don't you but um it has been yeah. a particular point of frustration for blues this season because there's been so many i think my response i think dan raises a good point and you you've answered it well my response to that would be if burke is the replacement as he was burke had actually started the mm. previous two games as well and um, burke's coming burke's coming in, into mm. would coming into the same situation having had maybe more of a fractured um, pre-season, and then you're asking Oliver Burke to 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 go and start three games in six days. It's it's the injuries, you know, the the absence of Hall and Tyler Roberts that are forcing these issues, isn't it? And and this has been the case at Blues for so long because because mm. they've been hit by injuries. You end up overplaying players, don't you? Uh, and in, you know, for years and years, 
Blues had three or four centre backs on their books, and and they couldn't rotate them, or they couldn't rest them, and or, or you know they'd end up with one fit centre back because everyone had been overplayed and done their hamstring, um, or done a calf. So, as you, as you say, this is just what happens in football, and one injury places a greater stress on on other people as well. So yeah, it's um, mm. unfortunate, but I don't think there was. If you played Burke, Burke could have broken down. Is is, is the point I'm making, I suppose. Um, the, the other element of, uh, of 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 Dan's take was um, was he felt that JJ could have played in the defensive two alongside um, Christian Bielik with Bakuna out wide, which would which would have then eased the strain on uh, on on Keshi Anderson. I guess is his point. JJ is a defensive yeah. two or Bakuna is a defensive two. Now, I really like thought Bakuna played well against QPR. I was really impressed with his energy. Um, defensively, I thought, you know, I thought he worked his socks off. Um, and if you're going to try and play your way up the field, uh, then Bakuna getting on the ball sooner rather than later is probably a good thing, albeit a thing that comes with a health warning of imminent heart attacks. What what what's your thoughts about? About what 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 they could have done there in term in what Eustace could have done there in in the the two holding midfielders. Both of those players are interesting. That it's very difficult to fit them into this system. I think uh, because they're both number eights, aren't they? If you were playing a three five two, you'd have them either side of Christian Bielik, wouldn't you? Um, yeah. The the issue, the issue is like especially with JJ. I mean, they've both been used on the right side of of the front four, haven't they? For, for most part of this season, JJ hasn't been able to, to you know, put his pre-season form into into the championship, and he's lost his place in the team. Um, Bakuna's done okay in spells, but he always looks better in the middle. Um, I actually thought it was the right choice to play Bakuna in there and give Sunich a breather because I just think Blues need that little bit more of attacking impetus at home, and he gives them that in midfield. With JJ, it's even more difficult. I know he's becoming a big topic of conversation for Blues fans at the moment because. Obviously, they want to see him succeed. But when he's getting chances in positions that probably aren't his own, he hasn't delivered. Um, and I, I don't see how he's going to force his way into... If he is going to be, you know, the guy next to Bielik, I think it's so difficult for him to get in there at this moment in time with Sunic and potentially Bakuna ahead of him. Um, you know, we saw how well JJ played for for Wales against Latvia, man of the match performance. Um and there's going to come a time now, he's 19, when he's going to want regular first-team football. And especially when you read things about a lot of clubs sniffing around him. Um, but it's difficult. It's so difficult to see where he gets in. Um, I'm, I'm not sure playing him on the right side of that, the three behind the strikers, the, the answer. Um, I wouldn't play him centrally. Um, I don't think he fits this system very well. That's my, that's my honest opinion. I think you want... JJ playing a little bit more free as a box-to-box midfielder, and I don't think this system allows it. Yeah, I think think that's fair, and it, it would still be for all his potential and, and all his great performances for Wales. It'd still be a surprise to see him in that starting eleven mm. against Norwich this, this weekend, which brings us on to the uh, the trip to Carrow Road, Alex. Um, th- listen, we just talked. We just spent a long time talking about how Blues don't score goals. Um, Boyd and Norwich concede goals, or at least they did last weekend when they conceded six um, to Plymouth Argyle and were four 0 down at half time. Um, and I have to say, uh, defensively they were so open; they were they, they crumbled like cheap mm-hmm. cake. It was absolutely, you know, it should be 
Blue should be salivating at the prospect of facing facing that. No, uh, I'm not sure um, that they'll be allowed to be that lax and that open this weekend mm. um, because there'll be a, there'll be a revolution inside Carrow Road if 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 Norwich defend that way again. Um, but yeah, I was I was watching. You know, Shane Duffy was was just he was the, he was the furthest man back in a, in a back four. They play played a four two three one as well. And basically, the other three defenders were all a long way in front of him, and Plymouth were just bringing up the four guy. Um, so we'll, we'll have we'll, we'll order that again, please, this weekend. What what yeah. what are your thought? What are your thoughts about um, about going to Carrow Road? Other than my word, it's a very long way. Yeah, they've been in a lot of high scoring games, haven't they, Norwich? Um, yeah. I think before the game, I was writing that they were they're the top scorers in the championship. I don't think I'm not sure they still are. Um, but obviously they're, they're also they've also got one of the the worst defenses leakiest leakiest defense as well so you know blues should be as you say licking their lips at that prospect um i just i i, I you know you know how this game is going to go it's going to be norwich having more of the ball blues sitting back and trying to withstand that pressure hopefully the carrow road crowd gets frustrated and blues can nick their goal defend a little bit more nick their second goal and we have a nice relaxing match report to write um, it's rare, rarely the case, um, but I do I do think Norwich should play into Blue's hands, given that you know, as we've spoken about in the last podcast and in other videos we've done previously, Blues tend to be a team that does better when they have less of the ball, like most Championship teams these days. So yeah, um, I think this game is set up quite well for Blues, to be honest. Dangerous if they concede the first goal though, because if they oh, then yeah. have to if they then have to open up. And uh, we're seeing the likes of Onel Hernandez and uh, Shemi Clough excuse my Polish pronunciation, Plachetta, um, flying down the wings at them. And Plachetta played 45 minutes at, at home part the other day, so he's on his way back from injury as well. If Blues have to open up, they are they would be absolutely ripe on the counter, wouldn't they? So a, a dangerous game. And, yeah, about, about the first goal. Um, so, yeah, that brings us to... You, you've put... On on the schedule, Alex, press facilities. We've been we've been rattling on for oh. fifty four minutes. Do you want to do that now? <laughs> bear, bear in mind. Go on. Well, I don't want it to to damage my chance of getting a car parking space at Carroll Road, but um, I do I do want to bring this in. Maybe not now, but as a as a feature in the coming weeks to look at the kind of press facilities in each championship ground. And so far, I will say that the grounds have been really hospitable and good. Uh, car parking's been top notch. Food for the most part has been top notch, and you know press box view top notch as well. So, um, yeah, I want I want to bring this in as a feature so we can look at the press facilities because Saturday will be my first trip to Car Road. Okay. Um, I've previously in every year I've worked here always avoided, you know, always booked a holiday when uh, when the, the team has been going to going to Car Road. So I've been trying to avoid my trip to Norwich, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I'll be going I'll be going on Saturday, and uh, I'm hoping to to maintain a hundred percent victory record yeah <laughs> yeah N never lost at carrow road yeah exactly uh, never lost at carrow road although i'm i'm quite envious about the fact that you'll be going to the home of the banana cake uh it's absolutely mm. sensational at carrow road but it, it is a long way to go uh for, for for one single food stuff so yeah safe safe trip to you alex uh we'll round it up there um alex do you want to sign us off yeah thanks everyone and uh thanks for listening to this the latest episode of Keep Right On will obviously be looking forward to the game at Carrow Road and uh, reacting to what will be 
hopefully a Blues victory uh, to keep right on from me and from Brian. Yeah, keep right on and uh, looking forward to Richie Sunak's open letter to Tom Wagner.